What do you think it takes to win? Is winning only a possibility for some? Or can a winning mindset help you overcome all odds to achieve your biggest goals? In this episode, I speak to Sean Harper, former NFL player, motivational speaker, and business owner, about why you were designed to win and why what we believe about success may be all wrong. Someone told us this is what success is. Being a doctor, making money, having affluence, having a nice house, being in your craft, in your zone. This is what we celebrate in the media every single day. That is success. And everyone is chasing that. And the danger to that is that you're chasing something that they prescribe and you could be losing your own purpose. Sean is a former NFL player turned motivational speaker and business owner and is the author of the book, The Winning Edge, Eight Principles That Will Bring Out the Winner in You. He learned to leverage a no-quit mindset to overcome many challenges and uses his platform to inspire and impact hundreds of thousands of people. So, ready to dive into what it takes to win? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. John Harper, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Let's have fun today. Let's win. Oh, that sounds like a perfect afternoon to me. Yeah. Love to have fun on the podcast. So uh, let's do it. One of the things that you really love to talk about is winning. You've actually written a book about it. I know that you talk a lot about winning to not even just businesses and leaders, but other folks and even youth. But I'd be interested to know, as we kick off our conversation, how do you define winning? Yeah, great question. Winning to me is the fullest expression of who you are mentally, physically, emotionally, socially, and of course, financially. But the last one I like to throw in there is legacy. Right. So what does it actually take in your mind to win? What it takes to win is there's an actual major paradigm shift in your thinking, which transforms your movement, your ideology, your outlook in life. So. Former, you know, NFL football player, motivational speaker, uh, a list of accomplishments. And most people have the mindset of you must have had things going well for you, you know, all alone. Uh, You must have been like all state, you know, great football player. We understand athletes. We've seen athletes in high school and in even college. And we know how they act, how they're treated, how they're catered to. But nothing could be further from the truth for me. Um, I remember standing in the second grade line, first day of school, and I'm excited to be in the second grade. It's one of my first major blows. Actually, my second, my first blow was watching my father leave. And he walked out on like all six of us, have uh, six brothers and sisters. And my mom had to scrub floors to earn a living. And then one day he leaves and he doesn't return and they divorce. Second grade, having to repeat the first grade. Fifth grade, documented with four to five learning disabilities. And trust me, I was at the bottom of the barrel. Like my fear in the fifth grade was to, you know, stand up and spell a word out or to read a sentence or a paragraph in front of the class. Like, please, let, I hope it's not read out loud day, right? And I would strategically sit myself where I would have enough time to practice the paragraph with little sweat dripping from my forehead. Like, you have to get this right because they're going to laugh at you and they're going to reject you even more, right? Finally, my fifth grade teacher was like, you know what? There's something wrong here. And so they tested me for several days and it was determined that I had, you know, four to five documented learning disabilities. And then being kicked out of a couple schools because of disciplinary issues, leaving high school with a 
1.62 accumulative GPA, not on my ACT. Now, here's what gets interesting. I go off to a junior college. In the first year at that junior college, I sit on the bench the entire season. Not one play. Going into the second year, I have a conversation with myself. And this is to change. I said, you know what? According to the world, I could never be successful. I don't have the grades. I don't have the affluence. I have no athletic ability. I wasn't even honorable mention all conference in sports. I was, the, trust me, the bottom. I said, but you know what? I can win. And once I mentioned that, once I shift from a success mindset to a winning mindset, I begin to look at all my obstacles as opportunities. I begin to what you would say MacGyver life. I begin to look at different strategies and tactics. Oftentimes when you mention success, the way to success is prescribed or given to you. But when you mention the word win, it begins to pull from other resources and you see things in a different way. I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to junior college early because that's what winners do. Winners always prepared. I went back, man, like four months early and I trained two times, sometimes three times a day just to get the competitive edge. I went from not even playing in junior college to being inducted into the junior college hall of fame the next year, full scholarship to Indiana University, draft day in the NFL, third pick in the fourth round. Why? Because I made a paradigm, a switch from success mindset to a winning mindset. Yeah, I love your story because it really speaks to how you didn't succumb to your circumstances. You had a lot of things that were stacked up against you, but you got to the point where you shifted your mindset, which is critically important for anybody who wants to achieve big goals in life, to shift their mindset towards the positive and think about what they're able to achieve regardless of their obstacles in front of them. But one other thing I do want to ask you is you had mentioned along the way somewhere, that's what winners do. Were there certain people that you saw as inspirations to you that helped you shift your mindset towards that winning mindset? Well, yeah, I had amazing coaches. See, my mom made me play football when I was in second grade. And in full disclosure, I hated football. and I didn't like football. It was too much work. I'm running up and down the field. I'm hyperventilating every other day. In the second grade, I had to walk a mile and a half to get to practice and a mile and a half home, sometimes in the dark because it's you know, in the fall. It was tough, but my mom said, you need male influences in your life. And so from the second grade, third grade, and then eighth grade, all the way through, I had great coaches. Actually, these coaches were, like my mom had mentioned, they were father figures. And so now I'm on the field with these guys. And I'm looking at winning strategies. I'm watching how we win as a team. I'm watching how we lose, how we take the loss, how we reconfigure, how we look at the failure as tuition, how we're coming back for the next week. And I just begin to take notes. And you know what it was so amazing is that I was able to now, when I was faced against all this opposition, that I was able to graft in the pool from the same tactics and the same strategies. So the example that I said earlier, I talked about, you know, I'm going to go back to school early because that's what the winners do. One of the things that I've learned is that winners practice when no one else is practicing. Winners are able to do what I call going to the 212. And what I mean by that is that water boils at 212 degrees. It's just water at 211. So you have to get into the 212 in order to have change and to manifest greatness. And so here I am now. Hey, all these guys are at home. I'm going off to junior college and I'm going to practice every single day, twice a day, three times a day. I'm going to be the best Aaron Sean Harper that I can be. 
uh, just things like that, the fullest expression of me. You're not going to prescribe and tell me what I have to do to be great. You don't have that authority. I'm going to pull it from me because I've been created for a plan, a purpose, and a season, and for a reason. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you talked a little bit about purpose. And once you realize that purpose and you have that mindset, you really want to work towards those large, audacious goals and recognize the things that you need to do to achieve those goals. That is definitely aligned with my vision of what winning looks like. One of the other things that you talked about through the conversation is around our versions of success. And so I'm sure that over time you've had to alter or think differently about what success looks like to Sean Harper. And of course, success might look differently to other people, but I would be interested to know, what is your personal definition of success? To me, success is a bad word. And the reason why it's a bad word is because success is not static, which means that it's not a final destination. It's a state of being. And whoever can control that state of being is now controlling you. Case in point, if I'm playing professional football for the Indianapolis Colts, well, I'm successful. You are successful. You're a pro football player. Well, what happens three years later? Am I still successful? So now I am dependent on different external variables to determine if I'm successful or not. And that's no fair. So you can have $3 million living in Indiana and you can do okay. You know, you're doing well. You can have $3 million in Manhattan and you can be average. You can have $3 million in Dubai and you can be poor. It's who is defining this to say you are successful and you're not. Like right now, this very second, we are doing this podcast. If I travel six hours, I am in Nicaragua. And in Nicaragua right now, do I measure my success with their success? You see how dangerous this is? It's like somebody told us that around the third or fourth grade, someone told us this is what success is. Being a doctor, making money, having affluence, having a nice house, being in your craft, in your zone. This is what we celebrate in the media every single day. That is success. And everyone is chasing that. And the danger to that is that you're chasing something that they prescribe and you could be losing your own purpose. Yeah. And I think that's such a tremendously important message because so many people do use those external benchmarks on what success looks like, whether that be, you know, things you see out on social media, you know, things about fame or or power or fortune, those things are not as important because you're right. Those things could be fleeting. Those things won't necessarily last forever. But what's important is how we you know, think about ourselves in this moment. Yeah. I think some of the most successful people in America are school teachers. Mm. I mean, think about this. They literally have our next generation in their hands. They go to work every single day. They're overworked, underpaid. They're getting emails from parents, from districts, from admins. Oh, they get emails from everybody, you know, trying to do this right, that right. You know, my son's not doing well. Obviously, it's your fault. And they have issues on their own, but you never hear about it. You never hear about their issues. They push the curriculum. They want the best for the students. They could be making more money at another occupation, but they're like, this is the fullest expression of me. This is what I feel that I am contributing and I am satisfied 100%. Screw the money. I'm in it for the long haul. Teachers and professors are just 
are just heroes. Yeah, they definitely don't value the contributions of educators enough. I can say that definitely is seeing very high quality educators that really helped my kids turn a corner. Both of my parents were teachers when I was growing up. So, okay, cool. Yeah, my dad was a physical ed teacher. He also was a football coach at the high school in town. Um, My mom, I actually went to football camp, Sean. (laughs) So I can, I, I know how to throw a spiral. How about that? There it is. Yes, yes. But also my mom was a teacher. So she was a teacher for several years until, you know, my sister and I were young. Actually, she uh, stopped teaching and she did some substitute teaching for a while. And I actually had an opportunity to have my mom as a teacher, as a substitute teacher a couple of times, which was Mm. interesting. But I definitely know what you're talking about when you think about teachers being heroes. I was lucky enough to have, you know, like I said, my dad was a PE teacher. He impacted many students and also a lot of football players over time. And he became somewhat of a local celebrity. Uh, We would go to different areas of the country or we would go to restaurants and stuff and people would always call him down, Coach Otis, you know, and flag him down and talk to him. We were um, actually, funny story, we were in an airplane in Phoenix, Arizona, and his football players walked on and, hey, Coach Otis. And, you know, so it was always a joke that we can't go anywhere without somebody, you know, flagging down our dad and saying hi. So that happened for years. But I mean, that's really what it speaks to is that the difference that educators make in the lives of the children that they educate. And you even spoke to that earlier yourself about the difference that teachers make in the trajectory of your life, but you're right. They need more credit mm-hmm. for what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Great point. I didn't know that your parents were teachers, man. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Kudos. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And on the same kind of similar point is you work with a lot of youth. And so you actually uh, work with youth to provide them inspiring message to help them strive for their dreams as well, to help them think about winning in their future. So if you could speak to all of the youth of America, what would be the most important message that you could tell them? What do you think that they need to hear? Wow. This will fly right in the face of Western education, what I'm about to say. I'm about to let them know that failure is your friend. Do not fear failure. You need failure. Failure is not only essential to win or in a more case that they can understand success, but it's part of the equation. You have to have setbacks. That prepares you for the next level. Unfortunately, what we do is that when a student gets a bad grade, student is rejected, then we criticize we abandon, we critique, and it's not constructive. Ask yourself, where did the fear of failure come from? Now you translate that 15, 20, 30 years from now, this fear of starting your own company, this fear of stepping out saying your truth, this fear of just doing the right thing, that fear was indoctrinated in us at a very young age. All of the inventions Every, in every one of them almost, there was some form of failure in, in the process, but they had the confidence to forge and to fight through. As I'm speaking, I think something more pressing came to mind, and that is you matter. Self-esteem, self-image, self-concept is so important, self-actualization, and that you matter. And I know what it's like to be in the school and, you know, everyone's, you know, looking up at the top 1% of the people. And that's the same way in society. But guess what? You matter. 
and to hold that and to believe that and to reinforce that and to have people to speak that into your life. Because this world can be very cruel telling you who you are and who you're not. Yeah, that's such a very powerful and important message. And I you know, challenge myself even to talk about my own failures because it's important to demonstrate that ability to acknowledge failure because it's just part of the process. It's part of life. Yeah. It's not a reflection of who you are or the quality of the person you are or what you could be or what you could accomplish. Right. All it is is a status or a state of something you've tried that either worked or didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think the earlier that kids learn that, the more resilient that they will become throughout their lives because they're bound to face challenges through life. And this is one of the things I try to teach my kids too, is that I want them to be courageous through their most difficult challenges. And so I challenge them to think about their failures and their challenges and their risks and their fears now so they can work through those to have the skills they'll need to be resilient, to work through uh, failures and challenges and disruptions in life in the future. Yes, definitely. Great job on that. Thanks. I try. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Not a perfect parent, but I do try my best. And uh, I am so proud of my kids because they have worked through a lot of challenges. They've come a long way. So if we think about, let's shift to leaders for a second, because I think that's one of the things we hope our youth will become someday, whether it be leaders in organizations, leaders in their community, or even just leaders in their circle, the people around them. Everyone has an opportunity to become a leader or demonstrate leadership within their lives and with the people around them. But if there was one piece of advice that you could give to any leader, what would that be? Wow. Well, there's tons, there's tons, but the one advice that I would give to a emerging leader is to learn how to be the biggest servant in the room. And if I have to explain that, is that instead of you being in front all the time, get behind and encourage and lift up and push and to complete or to help these people, the people that you are leading to be the best that they can be, not only in their craft or in their job, but that then through their craft, they will develop to be leaders themselves. And to keep pushing it one step further to where you're now teaching them to replace you and have the courage and the fearlessness to do so, knowing that other opportunities or even advancements will be there for you. Yeah, and there's no better way to get people to rally around you by lifting them up and demonstrating that you have their back. Yes. They gain psychological safety, so they feel safer expressing their views, their ideas, their hopes, and their dreams. Mm-hmm. And. I really love that you brought that up because I think the more that folks develop those types of skills and think differently about what leadership actually means, that it's not a status, it's not a power dynamic as much as it is an opportunity for you to inspire other people uh, to follow you towards something greater or demonstrate good behaviors and leadership behaviors that others then can emulate. And that's really the mark of a good leader. Yes, definitely. You've worked with a lot of coaches that have been inspirational to you. Is there one particular coach that taught you something very important that you would like to share? Wow. There's so many. I remember when I was playing football and I was loafing at a particular high school that I was at. I was loafing in practice. I was goofing off. And the coach literally kicked me off the team. But I didn't know it at the time that he really didn't kick me off. He was creating a shift in me. 
He said, Sean, get off my field. Get off my field now. And he yelled at me. He embarrassed me in front of everybody. And I went to the locker room, and I was so upset, man. I threw down my helmet. I took off my shoulder pads. I was upset. And then that dream kicked in. And I put everything back on. I walked back out to the football field, and he had his back to me. And then I turned to the front of him, and he had to turn. He, he ran from drill, and I just went from drill to drill. I said, man, no. And finally, he stopped, and he yelled. He said, Sean Harper, what do you want from me? And I said, Coach, you will never, ever make me quit. And he paused for a second. And he said, get back in line. Later, I learned that he was banking. He was hoping that I would come back out. And he taught me resilience, persistence through rejection and resistance. He taught me that. That has been probably the most important gem or jewel that I keep with me is persistence. Right. Because as you mentioned before, it's important for us to understand that failure is a part of our process in life. Yeah. And overcoming that failure and continue to try and being persistent and overcoming our fears, especially associated with what comes with failure. Mm -hmm. I can see how that would have been a very powerful moment, a powerful lesson for you to keep moving forward and push for what's important to you. And really a demonstration of what you were passionate about at the time, which was getting out there and playing and making a difference. And really, like you said before, trying to achieve those goals that you set for yourself, which is critical to stick with it, to be persistent, to, to keep moving forward, to overcome obstacles. So coaches uh, can be tough, I know, because I was raised by one. <laughs> but uh, he also has a big heart and has always had a lot for people. And I imagine that's probably been your experience as well as a lot of coaches, even though they might have a tough exterior, often care a lot about the players that they coach. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, definitely. Big hearts, uh, amazing hearts. After all the yelling and fussing, <laughs> man, you know what? They're there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why that's why we get getting chased down in airports and, and restaurants and so forth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, hey, I'm interested to know if you had to pick one moment in your life that you would say it was the most impactful, the most powerful, what would that moment be? Hmm. Wow. I think that time at junior college, when I went back to school by myself in the dorm room and I trained for four months in the dorm with no air conditioning, and I had to come face to face with my best friend and my worst enemy, which is me, and I had to deal with me, and I had to make some adjustments and have those tough conversations, and take responsibility, and move from being a victim to being a victor. You have to understand that the same person that left high school with a 1.62 is the same person that will major from Indiana, IU Bloomington. That the same person who barely started in high school football is the same person who played seven, seven years professional football. That's the same person who stuttered his entire life and could not complete a sentence till college is the same person who's talking to you right now. A shift had to happen and a conversation had to happen. And that conversation led to inspiration and from there it led to motivation. And so that was the most impactful time. Wow. Yeah, definitely powerful to think about that shift that you made and where you are today. So kudos to you for showing that resilience and that perseverance and really working towards your goals. And yeah. um, I can definitely see 
you know, what drove you to do the work that you do today, both with organizations and with kids and with youth in our communities. And so very powerful work that you do. Now I'm interested in understanding what you might think about our future as you think forward into what the future might hold for us. What's something that might make you concerned about the future? Wow. I think that there's a huge convergence that's happening now. And the convergence is that we're all being pushed together by unknown and unseen forces. And in that pushing and that mushing, like ingredients going into a great recipe, I don't know what it's going to make. And I don't know what individual ingredients are going to get left out in this process. Think about this for a second. We have a virus that has now infected all four corners of the world at the same time. When was the last time there was something that happened around the entire world at the same time, real world? That doesn't happen every day. Now we're looking at having a all digital currency. That doesn't happen every day. We are being mushed and pushed together under one common ideology, and I don't know what the shakeout is going to be at this point. That's kind of concerning to me because I like I like diversity. I like uniqueness. And with media, people's ID, ideas and ideologies are starting to align cross-culturally. And, you know, that's good in some senses, but, you know, I kind of appreciate different mindsets, different approaches, different traditions. You know, it's kind of intriguing to me. What will be lost in that? So that's kind of concerning to me. Yeah, that's one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is the importance that people are able to be who they are in the world. And that's where diversity becomes very important is that we need all of us to be who we are in this world and for all of it to be appreciated. So we are all going to be different, but we should love each other for our differences. We should definitely think about how we're the same as well, but the differences allow different perspectives our catalysts for innovation, our catalysts for progress. And without those differences, it's difficult to see how progress happens, to be honest, you know, and I, so I can definitely relate to the importance of maintaining our diverse perspectives and appreciating those diverse perspectives as we venture into the future and shape that future that we envision. Mm, That's it. I mean, you hit the nail around the head on that. So let's leave on a high note. So how about those things that make you optimistic about our future? Wow. What makes me optimistic at the same time is being able to accept change. That change is happening. People are like example. I mean, I mean, we are dealing with a major pandemic. It hasn't been around since well, 100 years, 1918 dry down a street and people are still grinding. They're still fighting and they haven't given up. And that to me is encouraging. You know, people have lost it all. They've lost the most important thing. They've lost their routine. They've lost their consistency and they're still fighting. And I love that. That at the same time gives me hope that we can weather future storms. Yeah, absolutely. I think more and more, even though this year has been chaotic and strange and difficult, if we look at this as a time of major disruption, there's a lot of positive things that we can learn as people, as society. 
um, as individuals. And if we take those lessons and apply them towards building a better future, it really could be a turning point towards something better in many different ways. And we probably have a little bit of a road to continue on the path of the pandemic and probably the result of the or the consequences or what happens after the pandemic is done. But we are experiencing a fascinating point in time where we have this amazing opportunity to hit the reset button and take what we're learning in this moment and apply it towards something better in the future. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, I would love to know if you have one call to action for folks out there who are looking for ways to shape a better future. Yeah. It's the ones that get up are the ones that are going to win. In life, you will get knocked down. But if you can look up, you can get up. And if life is a game, play to win. Mm. Play this game to win. Definitely. Love that. Absolutely love that. So I want to give another call to action to the listeners as well. And that's to get out to seancarper.co mm-hmm. to check out his free ebook, The Winning Edge, Eight Principles That Will Bring Out the Winner in You. So Sean Harper, this has been an inspirational conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much too in any time. This has been a blessing. One thing that stood out to me in this conversation is Sean's refreshing take on success. It's likely no secret that success is prescribed and defined by society, by social media, and by the perceptions that are repeated and reiterated all around us. But to his point, if we chase a version of success that is defined by others, we run the risk of losing our own purpose. I took some time to reflect on that, on considering messages about what success is, what it takes to find success, what success looks like. These messages can be harmful to us. These images aren't really what change the world for the better, nor do they necessarily lead to fulfillment in life. This is why it's our own definition of success, rather than the definition of others, that is most important. Sean also reminds us that success can be fleeting. It's not necessarily a constant state and likely evolves over time. This can create a somewhat dangerous cycle of wanting more of what we perceive success to be. So, what about winning? Winning occurs in a moment when we achieve a goal, big or small, when we find pride in our hard work and dedication towards a goal. Striving to win also forces us to face our fear of failure and sometimes serves that failure to us with a side of fries and a soft drink. But failure is a part of life. It is a coach, steering us in a better direction so that we can learn what it takes to achieve important goals. It might sometimes seem harsh, but if we choose to take the mindset that failure is often in our best long-term interest, we will become more resilient and learn to overcome the next obstacles that come our way. So. What are you striving for? What will it take for you to win, to achieve that goal that will allow you to shape a better future? I hope you get that win. Or if you don't, keep working at it until you do. After all, that's what winners do. So go on, go help shape the future. To learn more about Sean Harper and his inspirational work, go to seanharper.org. That's S-H-A-W-N-H-A-R-P-E-R. To grab a free copy of his ebook, The Winning Edge, Eight Principles That Will Bring Out the Winner in You, go to seanharper.co. 
You can also find his book on Amazon and other major retailers. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to Humans Now and Then so you don't miss the amazing episodes coming soon. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.